0: It's time to set aside the superficial. It's time to go deeper. It's time to engage in truth. Here's John Bornsheen. Well, everybody, welcome back to Engage in Truth. This is John Bornsheen. I'm the Senior Pastor of Calvary Fellowship, Fountain Valley, right here in Colorado Springs. And I'm so excited that you are tuning in, because today we are continuing in our study of the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 21. In fact, we're going to try to cover verses 9 to 21, talking about the new Jerusalem. This is an exciting section that I know will give you great encouragement. So without further delay, let's get right into this. If you have your scripture, please turn with me to Revelation chapter 21, verses 9 to 11, where we read... "'Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues "'came to me and talked with me, saying, "'Come, I will show you the bride, the Lamb's wife. "'And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain.' And showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Her light was like a most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. Now, the first and most important characteristic that John notes here is the radiant glow. It shone with the splendor of God Himself because. He is in it, and John compared the glory of the city to one of the most beautiful gems—a jasper stone, which were very beautiful but not always clear. As mentioned earlier in Revelation chapter four, verse three, this is probably a clear gem-like crystal that, with many fa- facets of brilliance, possibly something that we might even call a diamond or diamond-like today and this stone described god himself earlier in in chapter 4 verse 3 so its brilliance is is even further it's it's a reflection of god's presence in the city and it may not even be what we have here the words that we can use to describe it i feel are probably even inadequate at best to describe the beauty of what we're to behold here and so john further explains the greatness of our eternal home Uh, But this is a challenging task. In fact, uh, one of the great writers and pastors, Ray Stedman, who's now with the Lord, used to say for John to try to explain to finite humans what this new state is like is in, in something similar in trying to explain the concepts of relativity or quantum physics to a two year old. And that's probably the best way to describe that, that it, it, trying to sit a two-year-old down to explain the concepts of relativity or quantum physics is like trying to describe the brilliance of this new Jerusalem to us. Now, let's just keep reading here in verses 12 to 17. Also, she had a great and high wall with 12 gates and 12 angels at the gates and names written on them, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel, three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south and three gates on the west. Now the wall of the city had 12 foundations and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the lamb. And he who talked with me had a gold reed. To measure the city, its gates and its walls. The city is laid out as a square. Its length is as great as its breadth. And he measured the city with the reed, twelve thousand furlongs. Its length, breadth, and height are equal. Then he measured its wall, one hundred and forty-four cubits, according to the measure of a man, that is, of an angel. And again, that's Revelation chapter twenty-one, verses twelve to seventeen. So the New Jerusalem is magnificent. There's no other way to describe it. It's 1,500 miles wide, long and tall. So it's a perfect cube. It's a symbol of perfection like the Holy of Holies itself. And roughly contains some 3.375 billion cubic miles. Now, if you get to look this up online, I'd encourage you to do it. If you Google search this and compare the New Jerusalem even to the United States or to Israel, you will be greatly impressed the size of this city. Now, some texts, the NIV, for example, suggest that this number is 1,400 miles rather than 1,500 miles. But this was due to the ancient conversion tables such as cubits to feet. And generally, one cubit equals 17.5 or 18 inches so however when we get to this royal cubit dimension it can be 20.4 or 21 inches and this creates a variances within the distinction of a furlong or stadia have i lost you let me try to explain further the, the furlong which meaning it is a meaning for furrow furrow length uh, it really goes back to this distance that a team that would have oxen they could plow without resting so that, that's where we get that. What, what was the distance that they could plow with their oxen without the oxen needing to take a rest? That, that's where it ultimately originated from. It was standardized to be exactly 40 rods or 10 chains. So the furlong went from 600 feet to roughly 660 feet or 200 yards to 220 yards. So the furlong was historically viewed as being equivalent to the Roman state or stadium. So in the Roman system, there were 625 feet to a stadium, eight stadia to the mile, three miles to the league. A league was considered to be a distance a man could walk in one hour. So again, we have one measurement, that's how long can oxen plow without resting? And another was how long could a, a man travel in one hour? How far could he go? So thus the, the, the Romans used a measure of 5,000 feet for one mile. But but in 1592, The British Parliament set about determining the length of a mile and decided that each one should be made up of eight furlongs, as the Romans had determined. So the furlong had been then revised to 660 feet up from 625, and that's how we ended up with 5,280 feet and one mile. So the official use of furlong was then abolished by the United Kingdom under, under this Weights and Measures Act of 1985. And all of this then can create some confusion with regard to the exact length of a furlong or stadia that John had cited here. Because the Roman conversion of eight stadia to a mile. So I'm inclined to lean towards the 1,500 mile measure at 660 feet per furlong which I I use as my baseline for this conversation here today. I don't think it's coincidental the Bible that was penned over by by 40 authors that God had selected was written over a period of 1,500 years. So the number 1,500 is the largest number to appear in the Torah as a value for a single word. And 1,500 coincides with the numerical value in the Greek word phos, or light. So it's it's actually a, a Greek word to describe light. In the number 1500. So again, I think that 1500 is the better measurement here, that it is 1500 miles wide, long, and in height. So the law is light that we're told in Proverbs 6, 23. Jesus is light in John 8, 12. We are children of the light in 1 Thessalonians 5, 5, Ephesians 5, 8, and Ephesians 4, 17 to 32. So God is the father of light in 1 John 1, 5 tonight. Uh, tonight. So again, we see that 1500 seems to reflect the very triune nature of God, and since God is light, it makes sense that a city would reflect his very characteristics and nature. So I find ironic that on June third, two 2016, everyone was talking about the newly discovered star that they named, uh, you know, nothing really uh, beautiful about the name, but it was KIC 8462852. And the reason for the dialogue was due to the fact that no one could explain the irregular patterns of light coming from this star, which was located... 1,500 light years away from the earth. So many researchers have tried to speculate what could cause this the enigma in these the light patterns that were unlike anything they had seen before. Well, the heavens declare his glory, according to Psalm nineteen one. I love that the star was exactly, or at least measured to be roughly 1,500 light years away from the earth. So let's talk about the New Jerusalem for a moment. How big is it? Well, some have speculated that the New Jerusalem could be a pyramid shape, But I believe that when we read it in its literal description, it is shaped like the Holy of Holies as a perfect cube, with its length, its width, and its height being 12,000 furlongs. Since a furlong is about an eighth of a mile long, the city's dimensions, as I mentioned, will be 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles. The moon, by comparison, is almost 2,200 miles. So you've got a city that's comparable to even almost the size of the moon. So this means the city's total area is 3.375 billion cubic miles, as I mentioned earlier. And if you're just tuning in, I'm talking about the New Jerusalem here in Revelation chapter 21. So comparing this total area on the Earth's surface, land, and sea of roughly 197 million square miles that's the entire area of the Earth's surface today, land and sea, 197 million square miles. And here we're talking about a city that can contain in cubic miles 3.375 billion cubic miles so the city's total area will be far greater than the total surface of the current planet of the earth that's how awesome and big this city is now the city is 1500 miles straight up now by comparison an airplane flies at six miles up Space has been noted to start around 62 miles up and the International Space Station is 200 miles up from where we're standing right now, 200 miles. This city's wall goes up 1,500 miles. That means you'd still have 1,300 miles to go to reach the top of the New Jerusalem by comparison. So it's a good thing that we're going to soar with wings like eagles and not grow weary, according to Isaiah 40, verse 31. So this means that more than 99% of the city occupies layers where no human can breathe or even exist currently. Now, if we try to imagine this city as the largest skyscraper in the world, this is 1,500 miles in height. If each floor is 10 feet high, then this city has 792,000 floors. If each mansion on each floor is, say, 500 feet by 500 feet, that means that each mansion would have to be 250,000 square feet and each floor is 1,500 by 1,500 miles wide and long. That means that there are 2.2 million square miles per floor. Okay, are you are you following with me the size of this thing? That means you could fit 250,000, almost 251,000 mansions per floor. If each person had received a 250,000 square foot mansion. Okay, so he tells us that in my father's house, there are many rooms. He's not kidding. That means there could potentially be 198,717,235,300,000 mansions in my father's house if each mansion is 250,000 square feet each. Okay, you're going to have to probably go back and re listen to this just to get all those numbers again. That's how awesome this new Jerusalem is. Jesus told us that there were many mansions, didn't he? Go back to John chapter 14, verses 1 to 4. Let's read it. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. And where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way, you know. Now, I don't think there are 198 trillion people to fill up all these mansions if they're 250,000 square feet apiece, Uh, But that's not, you know, let's just do some other math here because the New Jerusalem could still hold 20 billion people if you gave each person 75 acres each with room left over for roads and buildings and more. So, are there really 20 billion Christians then to occupy the New Jerusalem? Well, many demographic studies will tell us that 8.3 billion people have claimed to be Christians since 30 AD. 8.3 billion since 30 AD. Now, Matthew 7, 21 to 23 tells us that not everyone who claims to be a follower of Christ is truly a Christian. A very, very humbling uh, section there. But how about all the children who die young or in the womb? Of the 4.4 million pregnancies per year in the United States, there are nearly 1 million miscarriages. In addition, there have been over 54 million abortions worldwide since 1973, so if we look at all the abortions around the world, even some have speculated that with even chemical abortions and so forth, there have been 1.72 billion abortions around the world. All those children are going to need a home, too. So the Population Reference Bureau estimates that 107 billion people have lived on the earth since the beginning. Okay, so so if, say we take 20 billion residents of the New Jerusalem, that that is quite plausible. That means that there would be 250,000 square feet for the mansion within 75 acres for each and every person. Now, okay, you getting the awesomeness of this? I don't know if you understand how big 250,000 square feet is. If you look at an image of the fleur de Lis mansion in California, this amazing mansion, but this shack... Only has 12 bedrooms and 15 bathrooms. It only has a 50-seat theater, a ballroom, a gymnasium, and a paltry 50,000 square feet. And that particular home was listed for $102 million. That home is only 50,000 square feet. We're talking about homes that could be as big as 250,000 square feet with 75 acres each if we had 20 billion Christians in the New Jerusalem. How about Bill Gates' home? It's only a paltry 66,000 square feet. It only has 24 bedrooms and six kitchens and a 21,000 square foot library. And it went for $124 million. God laughs at this. This is nothing. Your father is going to make you royalty like this world has never known before. The city's wall is 144 cubits thick. Now, given a range of between 17 to 21 inches, that means the wall itself is 204 to 252 feet thick. this, This thing is amazing. Let's keep reading. Verses 18 to 21, Revelation chapter 21. When John writes about a street paved with gold, I don't doubt his words. I mean, it's meant to tell us that the things we value so highly in this life will be used to pave the roads in heaven. Okay, Now how could this gold be clear? The Bible makes a rather amazing statement regarding the use of gold within this newly made Jerusalem. And Old Testament priests, when they ministered in Solomon's temple, they walked on a gold floor in First Corinthians, excuse me, First Kings, chapter six, verse 30. So how could such a rare and dense metal like gold appear as a clear and transparent, uh, even like glass? In this unique Jerusalem, it's only in modern times, listen to this, it's only in modern times that man has had the science and technology to prove that this can happen. That what God granted John to see almost 2,000 years ago, that gold being the most malleable of all metals, that under tremendous pressure, a single pure U.S. ounce of 28 grams of the metal can now be beaten and stretched into 300 square feet. And this amazing sheet can be produced so thin that it even appears transparent, like glass. And now some aircraft cockpit windows have even used it as a thin layer that's applied on top of them in order to retard icing. So what would John spend so long of this description on various gems? Why tell us that? Why, why would he spend so much time telling us what the city is built out of? And I believe there's an important lesson to be learned here. If you go to Exodus chapter 28, verses 17 to 21, we see these stones mentioned before back in the Old Testament, the Torah, and they represented the 12 tribes of Israel, which were embedded on the breastplate of the high priest. The sardius was the first stone stone that was mentioned there, and the jasper, the last one. And now the order is different in Revelation chapter 21 when compared to Exodus chapter 28, as the colors now seem to correlate with each of the apostles as we read in Revelation 21:14, the tribes of Israel are written on the gates and not on the foundation. So ironically, the 12 gates with the names of the 12 tribes of Israel are on giant pearls. Now, pearls are not stones. And in fact, the pearls are from unclean animals. If you go to Leviticus 11:9 9 to 12 on that, they, they come from oysters. And these pearls are at least 200 feet in diameter. These are giant pearls. And this seems to suggest the vision of Acts chapter 10, verses 9 to 16, which was speaking of the Gentile church, which is established through the obedience and the testimony of the apostles. So the entrance of the new Jerusalem now consists of the image of the church, each named after a tribe of Israel, both coming together, which is the fulfillment of Romans chapter 11 and Galatians 3.28. So for those saints whose lot is poverty in this life, like the saints in Smyrna. Go back to Revelation 2.9 on that. John's description of the splendor of the new Jerusalem is great encouragement. So whatever material benefits have been forfeited for the faith in this lifetime, the eternal riches of the new Jerusalem will far more adequately make up for it. So if you feel like you're barely making ends meet, Remember that your eternal home awaits you. I I remember the story of a uh, a seminary of Lawrence, who was an African student who came to the United States, and he shared these words. He says, I've been in the United States for several months now. I've seen the great wealth that's here, the fine homes, the cars and clothing. I've listened to many sermons and churches here too, but I've yet to hear one sermon about heaven. Because everyone has so much in this country, no one preaches about heaven. People here don't seem to need it. In my country, most people have very little, so we preach on heaven all the time. We know how much we need it. You see, the splendor of heaven is a healthy antidote for materialism. The Laodicean saints, they thought they were rich, but they were informed that they were actually poor in Revelation chapter 3, verses 17 18. So no matter how much wealth these saints could have accumulated, it pales in comparison to the awesome wealth and splendor of heaven itself. And even if it were possible to take some of it with you to heaven, it would be of no value. The streets of the New Jerusalem is paved with such pure gold that it can even be seen through. The, the impure gold that we now possess, it was, it's like pavement. In heaven. So, so let those who would suppose that they are rich compare themselves with the wealth and splendor of the New Jerusalem. That is your inheritance. Let that sink in and give you hope and encouragement when you were going through great trial and tribulation in this lifetime. Why do Christians work so hard trying to make our life in this world more comfortable? This is just an airport that we're passing through, we're in transit. We spend all our energy, a lot of our energy, if we're honest, on enhancing this life instead of working on our eternal reward. And and that's why I believe Revelation 21 is so descriptive of the new Jerusalem, so that we don't worry about this life. We don't, you know, give in to the affairs of this life. We're supposed to be focused on our life eternal with Jesus Christ, our Lord. The, The investment that we make with our lives now, this is What's going to last for eternity? Are we laying up treasures in heaven, or are we laying up treasures where rust and moth will destroy them? So so here we come to this conclusion of Revelation 21, and, and it describes here this new Jerusalem to give us great encouragement. And what we're about to read next, and next week as we get into this, in verses 22 to 27, is going to take us even deeper into the new Jerusalem to even describe that there isn't a temple there and some of the detail of the tree of life. And so forth. It's there. I mean, it's amazing description. You don't want to miss it. We're going to be talking about that next week, right here on Engage in Truth. I want to thank you for listening today. And I know it's been quite a journey. You're probably going to have to go back and re listen to all of this uh, because it is encouraging. And I want you to be encouraged. Keep your eyes on the prize. If you want to go back and re listen to the prior broadcast on the book of Revelation and this study we've been going through for well over a year and a half now, and here we are in Revelation chapter 21, uh, please go back and re listen to those. You can watch the videos on line, get the sermon notes. A book is forthcoming as well that will be able to just equip you with all of these tools so you can share of the exciting journey we've had in the book of Revelation. But if you want to learn more about our ministry at Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley, please visit us at calvaryfountain.com. Again, that's calvaryfountain.com. Services are at 10 a.m. on Sunday, and we would love to see you there. God bless you.